As we continue to bludgeon our way through St. Mark's Gospel, today the church offers us a brief episode from Mark's 7th chapter. And while this pericope details an intimate and marvelous event in our Lord's public ministry, most people just seem to listen up until the 33rd verse. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched his tongue. I could have stopped reading after the word spitting and left the entire second half of the gospel out and I'm sure none of you would have been worse off because I imagine that by the time you finished visualizing our Lord placing his saliva-soaked finger in the mouth of the deaf man, I had already kissed the gospel book and was turning down my recorder. But you already know the story Generally, when it comes to stories about Jesus, you just have to hear the first line, and you know the ending. The people brought him a deaf man who had a speech impediment. There, you know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to cure this man. The question is, how will he do it? And what does that mean for us? St. Mark gives a sort of three-step process to our Lord's healing, which is both observed in this passage and also in a passage later in the Gospel, which the lectionary will end up having us skip between this Sunday and next Sunday's Gospel. In both accounts, though, our Lord takes the man aside by himself, away from the crowd. Then he performs some physical act of healing to carry out the miracle. And finally, the man is healed. But before we reflect on what this pattern might mean for us, it is also worth considering the man's condition. St. Mark doesn't tell us that he was simply a deaf man. He was a deaf man who had a speech impediment. Some of you may have met someone before who was born deaf. I'm sure you're familiar with the situation where usually when someone is born with this condition, they have some sort of speech impediment as well, or at least an odd way to our ears of forming various speech patterns. And this, of course, is due to their deafness. It's difficult, even with proper therapy, for someone to form the correct sounds when they have not heard other people form them. So the physical condition, the deafness, also causes a side effect condition, the speech impediment. And this is important for us as we begin to look at this passage from a spiritual level. Deafness in this situation can be interpreted to mean a number of things. But I would propose two meanings for us to consider. The first is a spiritual deafness. That is an inability or refusal to hear God's words or the teaching of the church. And naturally, when someone has not heard these teachings or has not allowed these teachings to become a part of them, the speech impediment will follow. That is, their acts will not be informed by the word of God. They may even perform good deeds. Surely all of us can think of non-Christian charities. But there's a difference between the good that some people do and the good that is born of God. The deaf man was able to communicate, sure. But it was not with the same clarity by which the average person was able to speak. And in the second situation, I would propose to you as a state of sin, or a sort of distance from God, even if it's not directly the result of some grave sin. And similarly, in this situation, the speech impediment will follow as well. That is, the person in sin will not find the consolation from God that they may need or deserve, or desire. 
they will lack true joy. Perhaps not physical joy, but the joy born of God. In the first place, each of us was born in this situation. In a way, all of us were born deaf. We were each born with the weight of original sin. But Christ came in and pulled us away from the crowd in the sacrament of baptism. The connection here was seen by the early church. Very early in the church's life, the actions of our Lord in this particular miracle were associated with a certain baptismal character. And this can explain the spitting. Some commentators in this passage propose that for the ancient Jews, they understood saliva to be the liquid form of breath. Breath, God's breath, has a certain meaning in Scripture. It's one of the first things mentioned in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, the Spirit of God breathed over the waters. Many of the Psalms speak of the breath of God. And this is because the Hebrews associated breath with life, and therefore with the soul. God's breath is his spirit. Thus the action here of Christ wetting his finger with saliva is a sort of image for our Lord directly imposing his Holy Spirit on the deaf man. And he does so in an intimate way. It comes from within him, from his very body. This action, this action was actually preserved in the church's liturgy up until the liturgical reform of the Second Vatican Council. In the older form of baptism, which some of you were baptized with, and which may still be celebrated, actually, by any priest following a permission given by Pope Benedict XVI in 2007. In the older form of baptism, a priest will wet his own finger with saliva and touch the ears and nostrils of a child. And as he does this, he says, Ephatha, be opened. It's an Aramaic word. And it's curious by the fact that it's one of the only times in Scripture that you find an Aramaic term preserved in the original Greek text of the Gospels. Some people have proposed that the reason that this term is given in Aramaic and not translated is precisely because it was from very early on in the church's history used in the ritual forms of early Christians, sort of like how the Hebrew Alleluia or the Greek, Kyrie eleison, are still maintained in our worship today without being translated. So through this lens, we can see how baptism is our first sort of setting aside, pulling us out from the crowd and into an intimacy with the Lord where he is able to impose his spirit and heal our brokenness. But this may also happen when we find ourselves particularly in need of some motivation or help from the Lord, perhaps to move us out of a dangerous habit of sin. And there are often many methods at our Lord's command to pull us aside from the crowd, but it is surely one of his more preferred methods to permit that some sort of evil be acted upon us or to allow us some suffering. Archbishop Fulton Sheen once said, broken things are precious. We eat broken bread because we share in the depth of our Lord and his broken life. Broken flowers give perfume. Broken incense is used in adoration. A broken ship saved Paul and many other people on their way to Rome. Sometimes the only way the good Lord can get into some hearts is to break them. 
Sometimes in order to pull us out of the deafness of our own sin, Christ permits us to be broken, perhaps even to fall into some sort of terrible state where we hit rock bottom, where the effects of our sin, the ramifications of our mistakes are so great that it shocks us and gives us pause. And in that pause, we are pulled aside, out of the crowd. And there, if we are willing to look up at the Lord and turn our ears toward him and open our mouth to receive the Spirit, then and only then does he act. Ephathah, be opened. I'm sure some of you have been there before. I certainly know people who have been there before. It's hard to watch, even harder to experience, both for the one who suffers and for their family and friends. But that suffering makes the receiving of Christ's spirit far more sweet. You feel the weight lifted when it happens. You immediately see results. Now, not everything is fixed. We still live in an imperfect and broken world, but our ears are opened. We can hear and our speech begins to quicken. I think that is what is happening in the church today. These court reports, the various letters and speeches from certain bishops and priests who are all upset at today's situation, this is Christ acting, pulling the church aside, out of the crowd. He is reminding the church that we are meant to have this intimate relationship with him, he and his spouse, the church. And now, though perhaps it might be messy, it might not be the most pleasant thing to see, but now, more than ever, the church has to look up at Christ. The man or woman who is suffering from the weight of their own sins has to look up at Christ. We all have to look up at Christ. Turn our ears toward him. Open our mouth. And then, Ephatha, be opened.